In the Lab, a Texans podcast that takes a different look at things. Drew Doherty and John Harris have their lab coats and goggles on and the Bunsen burners burning. Here's Drew. Well, hello. Thanks a lot for joining us. This is Andrew Doherty, a.k.a. Drew. Going to talk with Andrew Beck a little bit later on. We're also going to talk with Alex Loeb of the Believe Podcast Network. But like always, we start things off with a conversation with my good buddy, John Harris. But before we do, please go do me a favor. Would you subscribe to this podcast so it comes to you on a regular basis? And while you're there, send in uh, five stars, send in a review. And also, I know you're not really sending in anything. You're just kind of entering something in. But I like to say send in like an old man. And then also on Twitter, at Doherty Drew is my contact. That's D-O-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y-D-R-E-W. Tweet at me. Let me know what you're thinking. I want to hear from you. we got lots of Christmassy-themed things to talk about today. So without further ado, here I am talking to John Harris. Time for it in the lab. Time to talk with my good pal, John Harris. John, here's what we got on today's show. You and I are going to discuss these things. We're going to have a what if I told you. What if I told you. This is a very happy what if I told you. Okay. We're going to have a cream of the cropper for the game on Sunday. So Christmas morning, we're going to wake up and say this guy was a cream of the cropper for the Texans because. The cream of the crop. And then our Twitter question of the day, I want this to ruminate for you. But our Twitter question of the day is, if Santa could bring the Texans anything, he would come down the chimney with this on mm. Christmas morning. And that could be mm-hmm. that can go a lot of different ways. So yes. you're going to have a very creative answer for me. But first things first, how you doing, man? Good. Much better than last week at this time. I'm kind of wondering what happened in New Jersey as opposed to this week going, man, what a what a really wonderful team win led by Case Keenum nine years after the fact, almost nine years to the day, Drew, of stepping in out of a deer blind and leading the Texans to a victory. Now, the numbers weren't tremendous against the Ravens back in 2014, but coming out of a deer blind, playing that Sunday, leading them to a win was huge. And I felt like in that game in 2014, he kind of managed the game. I felt like this game against the Titans, he made winning plays that we absolutely needed. It was incredible to watch. Incredible to watch. He's now won three in a row as the Houston Texans quarterback. It's got to be a record of some sort because those three wins, or wins two and three, have a gap of, what, nine, ten years almost? Yeah, nine years. It's remarkable. The last two games of the 14th season, which was his third season in the NFL, but only his second season of play because he spent 2012 in its entirety on the practice squad, spent the first six, seven games of 13 on the practice squad. And then Gary Kubiak made the call midway through what was a just disastrous 13 to say, Hey, case you're starting. And he started seven straight games, played pretty well, but it's, there's just so much working against that team. Anyway, another time, another place, so much fun. So gratifying to see case do what he did. I know you're like me. I know I speak for you when the Texans signed him this spring, we were all excited because this is something we'd kind of been clamoring for for years. Hey, why don't the te- let's let's bring Kate? He'd be a great backup, and he would have been, but the timing yeah. just wasn't right. But to see him go out and do what he did was just so heartwarming. And then to see everything he said afterwards, more heartwarming and unsurprising. Knowing who this guy is, it was so much fun and so cool to see in that regard. Yeah, and I think. 
the one thing that that resonated especially on on that day against that team was when he talked about what the city of Houston means to him and how proud he is that he wore the University of Houston jersey for what you know six years. Mm-hmm. And he's worn a Houston Texans jersey now. This is the 12th, 13th, 14th, it's the fourth year. Mm-hmm. Third, I guess third year, like you said. On, third on different field, time but, he's done it. Yeah. Yeah. Third different time that he's done it. Um, you know, he's just been an incredible ambassador. Um, you know, we we it's funny, you know, there there was there was so much talking and conjecture about the quarterback position during the week. Would CJ play? CJ doesn't play. What's Davis gonna do? What's Davis gonna do? Davis gonna step in the starter, all that. There were very few people that really gave consideration to the fact that Case could start that game. And I guess I can maybe say it now. We kind of figured it out by Wednesday. And so we were just waiting to see if somebody was going to find out and figure it out. And it wasn't until Aaron Wilson broke that news, I think, on midnight, Friday night or whatever the case might be, that Case was actually going to start. And it was at that point where everybody started scrambling back like, Oh, no, no, no. Well, this is what I meant about, you know, so it was kind of interesting to watch from that perspective. But, you know, the guys believed. Uh, and I I feel like there was a moment in that game, Drew, where where it could have it was on the verge of getting dicey. You know, Case had thrown the pick six mm-hmm. and it made it, it was 13 to nothing. And it was not it was not Case's fault. It was a miscommunication running back. I think it was Dare thought he should you know, continue on as opposed to settling up. It was zone. It was not man. And so it was just a miscommunication. And so Case threw to where he thought Dari was going to be. Dari kept going to where he thought he should have gone. And Elijah Molden took the ball and went to the end zone 13 to nothing. On that following drive after that, the Texans did nothing the first two plays. It was third and 12. And I just remember thinking, boy, this, it could, this thing could get out of hand. And I'm bracing for it. And then Case throws a seed to Noah Brown for 22 yards. And he did that and a few remember, times that day. He did. To Noah in dire to situations. Yeah. Yes. And that to me was maybe the most dire because I actually had started thinking, boy, ugh. but he hit that. And I don't remember. I don't I don't think we scored on that drive, but it was just enough to say, didn't. hey, I'm not going away. That interception isn't going to scare me away. And the more I thought about it later on, it was kind of foolish to even think that Case was going to back. Like, what's he got to lose? You know, he hasn't started in a couple of years. He's 35 years old. He's going to keep slinging. But what that did to me was show the defense, hey, we're still in this fight, man. Stay in this fight with us. Then they went down and kicked the field goal before the half and just got points up on the board. And then the crucial series, the the interception by Nelson, followed up by the third down throw to Dalton Schultz and a field goal eventually made it 13-6. And that's, I think, when things change on the sidelines for good, like – not only are we in this thing, we're going to win this thing today. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of, I could kind of see a sea change on the sidelines of, you know, things that just got, you know, uh, one of the things that stood out, I was watching the TV copy. It just so happened because he was standing there where Dalton made the catch. Dalton makes the catch on a third down and there's Kurt Heinisch. I see him in the background on the sidelines. He's just like pumping his fist like, <laughs> yes. And it was just kind of this moment of, okay, we're going to do this today. We're down some guys, but we can go win this football game. And we're better than these guys. And I think that was the one thing I took out of there was with all the guys that we had down. And, yeah, they had Jeffrey Simmons out. I I get that. Um, But that was it. Other than that, they had a pretty healthy team, and we stuck it to them. Yeah. And really we're the better team, especially on that day. So 
hopefully in a couple weeks, uh, that's still the case and, and no pun intended. And we remain that, but we got bigger work uh, with the Cleveland Browns for sure. You know, you brought up the, Hey, we've kind of figured it out. It was going to be Keenum starting. There were a few pretty, pretty major tells throughout the week, starting as early as Monday. I'm not going to give them all the way here, but it's going to be right. fun to t- discuss that later down the line. All right, let's let's put a bow on this win over the Titans with a little "What if I told you?" And this is a fun exercise because I think when I when I do these after wins, it shows you how tough it is to win a game, yeah, and how you've got to overcome a lot sometimes to win a game. So, yep. you already knew before this thing started there was no C.J. Stroud, there was no Nico, no Tank Dell, there was no Will Anderson, there was no Blake Cashman. There was no starting right tackle in George Fant. I mean, you had a lot going against you even before this thing started. But, John, what if I told you? What if I told you? 1130 on Sunday morning. Hey, listen, Texans are going to be down 13 nothing with one yeah. second to go in the first half. <laughs> Kate, Casey's going to throw a pick six, man. Texans are only going to go four of 15 on third down. Yep. John, Texans are going to commit eight penalties on the road for about 70 yards what if i told you those things knowing that all those other guys are out it's gonna be a long day right yeah there's no doubt i mean i, I you know the the flip side of that is okay and, and this is what you know what if i told you this is the counter okay all those things happened so how did they get well number one devin singletary badass again mm-hmm. uh motor was incredible i really I really wanted that touchdown run to stick because it's such a fantastic representation of what motor is and how he runs. And it was just awesome. He had like 80 yards. He had like 80 yards from scrimmage on those first two plays of the final drive. If that sticks, you know, you know, the the play that'll get forgotten drew is interesting because I I was doing telestrator. I did telestrator. I did mine on uh, the throw from case to motor that got them into Titans territory. What the play that I'll be forgotten is the play that happens right after that. And I'd like to get Andre Ware to, to, to speak on this because one of the things that Dre always talks about is, and we talk about is, you know, you got these running backs that you'll make a long run and then they'll come out of the game. Um, They'll go get a rest after a long run. Well, motor had just had that long catch and run. They turn right around and they give him the ball in the next and we're 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 in long field goal range, like long field goal range, but we're not in I feel good about field goal range yet. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking 60, you know, plus at that point. And so they give motor the ball in the next play, and he ends up slicing on the right side for about eight or nine yards. And that's the that's the play that actually gets them into field goal range is that play. And they just hammer that right side where George Fant wasn't. Uh, and we miss George, but we'll, we'll be forgotten. But it's a huge play because they're at the 39-yard line, I think it was. You know, it's 56. But Motor picks up five yards on that run. And it felt like it was more than that. But he mm-hmm. picks up five, gets it to the 34, and then the next run he takes to the house. And, you know, there's also a peek behind a curtain, too. I saw the fl- I saw the hold, saw the flag come out. So I knew, I knew 
the play was coming back. Like I knew it. There's no way that anybody was going to talk that guy out. I saw the hold. So Mark is describing the action. And as he's describing the action, and he's kind of going through like motor to the five in the end zone. And I'm screaming, there's a flag. There's a flag. And I'm like screaming at him, like, you know, don't worry about this call. And then I I remember Mark and I have had this conversation a long time ago about, you know, I'm just going to finish the call because what happens if that flag is erroneous? You know, what happens if they do pick up that flag? Then I've just given it this blase call expecting a flag. And it's one of the greatest game winning touchdowns ever. And I've, you know, kind of mailed it in because I knew there was a flag. So I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I probably should have just, okay. But I saw it. I knew it was coming back. Of course, the next play, they, you know, get minus one yard. And it was at that point, D'Amico had told us, okay, we're not, we're not going to take any chances. We're just going to let Kaimi kick it. So I think Devin Singletary running the ball. Kaimi Fairbairn's 250 plus yard field goals. What if I had told you, Drew, the Texans would hold Derrick Henry to 10 total yards, 20 touches? Now, Remarkable. That, yeah. that you would have told me, John, you've lost your ever-loving mind. You, yeah, you, so, would, you would have absolutely so much, said that to me. So much was made afterwards about sacking Will Levis seven times, which was awesome. Huge. Yeah. Second most right, sacks cool. in a game by a team by the Texans in team history. Phenomenal work. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not downgrading that. But what they did to Derrick Henry was, was more important, was more impressive mm-hmm. in my mind, considering what he had done, how he had brutalized you for the previous five games leading up to this one. In those five, he had a combined 1,018 yards. On average, he went for 29 carries, 204 yards, and two touchdowns in those five games against you. In four of those five, he had 200 yards or more. He only he only didn't crack 200 last time you played him, which was the freezing cold game when he fumbled it away late. Still had 120-some yards. Yep. What you did to him was phenomenal. And at no point did I think, okay, this thing's over. They've got him. Because he's the type of guy, like, you can keep giving him, give it to him, give it to him, and he busts one, and 75 yards later, uh, there he is, and he does that. He gets, he has eighty some yards. That's a nice afternoon. Yep. But they did a phenomenal job in bottling up Derrick Henry, and that's, I think, that's the story of this game. Quietly, with all the stuff about the uniforms, all the stuff about Case Keenum and Kaimi Fairbairn, justifiably getting their due. I think what you did to Derrick Henry to stop him was huge. Yep. All right, yeah, let's absolutely. move forward. Let's move forward to Christmas morning. We're gonna wake wake up after a Texans victory. And when we do that, John, who will be your cream of the crop award winner? Texans beat the Browns because the cream of the crop. L T. Lawrence L Taylor. T. Ladanian Tom. Oh, Laramie, Laramie Tunsil. Tunsil. He's got his work cut out for him. He does. Now, the Browns use Miles Garrett a little bit differently. And maybe Jim Schwartz will get smart. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Jim Schwartz has been smart. He has done some things. With Miles Garrett. He doesn't beat Miles Garrett's head up against the wall. Um, he wants Miles Garrett to get to the quarterback in every way, shape, or form possible. And if Laramie Tunsil is holding down the fort against Miles Garrett, then he's going to move him around. But the majority of dropbacks that CJ or Case or Davis, whomever is dropping back, 
They're going to need Laramie Tunsil handling Miles Garrett, if at all possible. And that's going to be the toughest one. If the Texans are able to get the ball off, it's going to be because the offensive line is holding its own against Zadarius Smith, obviously the rushers they have, but mainly Laramie Tunsil going against Miles Garrett. That, like that one is going to be the toughest. That's going to be the toughest thing. So Laramie Tunsil has to play like the Laramie Tunsil we know. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I'm going to go with Devin Singletary. He's got to do close to what he did last week. The Texans, that's a nice formula when he's running the ball and doing things because it's going to open things up. I kind of think you're going to see Nico Collins. He worked out before this last game. He did. Yep. It was like a last stab to try and be out there and make it, but he just wasn't there. I get the sense he will be, and that's a big boon for the offense. It cascades and makes everyone better. I think it makes Noah Brown better. I think it makes yep. things easier for the rest of those guys, Woods, Hutchinson. So let me let me go with Singletary because if he can do what he did or close to what he did, that's going to make this offense all the more explosive. It's going to look so much different with Collins back, whether it's Case under center again or, or C.J. Stroud is back. So let me go with Motor. And then for the final thing, Johnny, what is the best thing that Santa could bring for the Houston Texans on Christmas morning? A... Brand new fibula for Tank Dell. <laughs> now, because he's on IR, we wouldn't be able to wouldn't be able to bring him back anyways. But I just want to make sure his fibula is okay for 2024. But that that would be uh, definitely um, that maybe really nice, solid, strong right ankle for Will Anderson Jr. to get him back. But I would think healthy body parts, man. That's you know, Santa could bring for everybody. And then uh, and then maybe bring T-shirts for everybody in the stands on Christmas Eve. How about that? T-shirts? Yeah, why not? I don't know. Something saying okay. something on those T-shirts in particular? Or? I don't know. Just a nice just a nice Texans T-shirt for all the fans oh. that show up on Christmas Eve. Oh, day. I thought you were talking about like division title. I know they can't Oh, that would be nice maybe. too. Yeah, yeah, that would be nice, but that'll, that'll be a little while. And one of these in the labs will definitely, you know, maybe next week, but the playoff possibilities are unbelievable right now in the AFC. It's incredible. It is absolutely incredible what's going on in the AFC right now. Well, and here's so many possibilities and options. Well, here's what I want Santa to bring: losses, lumps of coal. There you go. Yeah, to the Jaguars yeah. and to the Colts specifically. Have them lose out. Mm-hmm. It just makes it easier on. Nice. Which would mean, which would mean you beat them in the season finale. That's what I want. I want losses. That's a good one. I, I like that. I want pain and suffering for others. That's what I want, you know, the greatest guy of all, one of the greatest guys of all to give me, yeah. to give others. Like so, it. yeah. I like it. Losses for everybody. Well, Losses for, for everyone. Stuff. Yeah. Well, John, Merry Christmas to you and your family. I'm I'm going to see you in between now and then. But, yes, uh, of course. I know you, me, and uh, the person listening to this will uh, we'll have a good Merry Christmas. And we're going to move on now, and we're going to go one-on-one with fullback Andrew Beck. He answers... A dozen or so of my weird, wacky questions. We have a lot of fun with it. You're going to hear who intimidates him. And those people who intimidate him actually were texting him after uh, his big touchdown return. People who intimidate Andrew Beck were texting him after one of his finest moments ever. Is that a nice tease? Do you like that tease, John? I like that tease. I can't wait to hear this. This is going to be great. Well, here we go. Let's listen. This is my one-on-one with fullback Andrew Beck. Let's rank the Andrews. You. Okay. President Andrew Jackson. <laughs> comedian Andrew Dice Clay. 
the actor Andrew Garfield, and I don't know if you're gonna know this one, but there was a singer back in the day, about 15 years ago, named Andrew W.K., maybe no. 20 years ago. Wow, they, that's a serious list right there. That's a serious question <laughs> for a serious dude. What's your serious answer? Oh, man. Ah, uh, serious answer. Whew. I might need them all written out. Yeah. I mean, Gosh. president's up there, but I feel like if you look at historically, his presidency, we might not want to put him up yeah. that high. So we'll, okay, we'll put him as a solid three. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you have a good uh, grasp on history. <laughs> comedian, yeah, that could have got me in trouble a little bit. <laughs> I mean, comedian's number one, just because that's got to be the toughest job out of anything. Stand-up comedian, yeah. I'm going to give it to him, man. That's hard. Yeah, he and he like, performed, and that's another one, he was controversial, but, but he performed in arenas and stuff, and now he's an saying. actor. I, yeah. I hide my face all the time at the stadium. I couldn't imagine going out there just being the only guy with the microphone. It'd be mm -hmm. a nightmare. So, so following onto that, we'll put singer at two. Okay. Okay. We'll go actor three. I'll put myself at four, president five. But only right. Because historically, like I said, that could be a little... You're a humble I don't, guy. I might get to a political career someday. So. Oh, really? Well, no, but we'll leave it open. My agent watches. He wants me to say yes, so we'll leave it open. Oh, really? Okay. What else does your agent want you to do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, here, here's something. This, this might help your agent out. Tell me about the hair care routine. What are we, uh, what are we doing oh, right now? I mean, you got nice, long, flowing locks. I do How long appreciate have they been, that. been that long? They've been... I started growing it right after I got married, which is about the time I discovered I don't get to make any more choices. <laughs> so if it were up to me, dude, I'd be buzzed. Really? Yeah, man. My wife likes the long hair, though, so okay. she wins that one. So speaking to the hair care routine, kind of, she's like, oh, you should put this stuff in your hair. And this, here's this leave-in that you should, should just leave it on my bathroom sink and like, as like a gentle encouragement. I'm like, oh, all right. I yeah. Throw this stuff in. So uh, there might be seven things in it at one time, and I rest assured I don't know what any of them do. You just put them in and follow directions. That's what I'm, I'm big at saying, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. That's, that's I got what you. I'm here for. That's good to know. Okay. You had the awesome touchdown return in Jacksonville. I'm sure you asked about it all the time. I was on the field shooting it with my camera. Best view. So cool. And it was so sunny and bright. And I was looking at my phone. I couldn't tell exactly who caught it at first. Who, who, I, I could tell there was a, like a, a juggling of it on the ground. There, yeah. there was a picking up. And I still didn't know. And I could tell the actions moving this way. And I saw it was you. And I said, oh, Andrew Beck. <laughs> yep, I remember. And then you ran and brought it all the way in. Who's the most random person you heard from afterwards though because you said your phone blew up you got a lot of messages that's a good one most random person it would be like one of my dad's old bosses so like people that i didn't really interact with some dad military guy right you know, the whole story so i don't really interact with his bosses because to me that's you know it's like a couple generals and then like the president so i don't sure. talk to him i'm terrified of all of them back to the yes or no <laughs> sir thing I think a couple of his old bosses reached out from when wow. I was younger, and it was, I mean, to this day still, I'm like, like nervous when their phone or their name pops up on my phone, but I think a couple of those guys reached out, which was pretty cool. I had some old high school teammates, coaches, just people I went to school with that was, I haven't talked to and it's gonna age me a little bit, like 10 years, man. Right. And it was, it was cool to hear from a lot of those guys. That's the cool stuff about the league when things like that happen is, you know, you don't realize who else is going to see it and who yeah. else is going to reach out. I was going to say, you've had such a cool season in that regard because you have the touchdown. Right. And then your dad, like you mentioned, he's a general. <laughs> Salute to service day. Yeah. You know, he comes out of the tunnel and he fires that cannon. You had a nice moment with him there. What, what, how spontaneous was that? How planned out was that by you? So I knew that he was doing it because yeah. he had kind of talked me through it. 
but I, until that moment, had never really noticed that we shoot a cannon off and like everything yep. before. Because I'm like, you know, right before the game. It's new. We like haven't done it in a long time. Like that. that makes me feel better. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, no, it's literally. But, <laughs> oh, good deal. So he had told me he was going to do it and like kind of told me the whole spiel. We get out, run through the tunnel. Everybody comes out on the field. And then I'm looking up, sitting down, looking up at the Jumbotron. And I see him start to do it. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like, I wish they didn't pre-record it. And then I looked up and saw what was going on in the field behind him. And I looked down. I was like, oh, this is actually happening. So, like, peeked up, looked down, and saw where he was down there and just started running down there. I was like, yeah. surely nobody's going to stop me if I just start running at him. I got to go down, and I think I s- spooked him a little bit. Like, he told me, he's like, I didn't know you were going to be down there. I was like, I didn't either, man. It was great. But we, we've talked about it a lot since then, just, like, the things that have to line up in life for the two of us to be no in that moment on an NFL field, like, before the game, just absolutely one of the coolest experiences ever absolutely no questions asked really really cool you lived a lot of places growing up because of what your dad did uh, yeah germany you were there twice I was how much german do you speak not much man because no. we moved back 2001 we moved back to champaign illinois my mm-hmm. brother was fluent and i knew a little bit mm-hmm. so in school we weren't in the same grade but we went to the same school we kind of overlapped so we would mess around and like speak to each other in german because we thought we were cool and nobody else could understand <laughs> and the principal called both of us in and my parents in and said they're not allowed to speak german anymore to each other because the teachers didn't understand it so we got in trouble for speaking another language really? so we both stopped and we lost it like a year later or something like oh that my like, God. I could were y'all like pulling stuff on these teachers no, just, we were just chit-chatting just yeah just kind of talking like we we didn't think anything of it because it was funny and it was what we were used to from where we had lived the past two years. Yeah. And like I said, he knew significantly more than I did. And he still knows more than I do now. I can say like ambulance and that's it. But <laughs> yeah. And like hospital or something. But How much older is he than you? Five years. Five years? Yeah. Okay. But he's one of your best friends, I'm guessing, right? He is. We're yeah. close. Just moving around a lot and things like that. He's He lives in, he's up in Fort Worth now, so he gets to come down not too far. So, nice. Yeah, nice. Man. I saw a really cool picture on your Instagram and you haven't First of all, why weren't you on Instagram anymore? Oh, I you haven't posted in a long time. Social media, like 2019, I think was my last post. 20, it, was like, it was right before the like pandemic. That. Yeah, I, so I put all that stuff away, and I've, I gotta tell you, man, I've loved it since then. Yeah. It's tough, and it, it won't last forever just with the way the future's going. Social media is such an integral part of everything now. Right. But I've got to tell you, man, it's been really nice not, not having to worry about it. What made that change? Why'd you do that? I think it was just kind of going into one season. I was seeing a bunch of stuff, and I got so worried about the things I was reading and, and uh-huh. stuff like that on there that sometimes it's kind of nice to just silence that stuff, what you can control, because, you know, we'll hear stuff anyways, but the stuff you can control silencing, it's kind of nice to sometimes push it to the side, and I just pushed it to the side and kind of left it there, and it's another thing my agent wishes that he had more control of than he doesn't, <laughs> but, yeah, I d- decided not to, and it, it started with Facebook, and then it kind of went to everything, and now I I enjoy not, I mean, I'm still on my phone too much, but I enjoy not having to do social media. You're happy, though, huh? I'm loving every minute of it. That's fantastic. <laughs> but back to the original question, I was looking through it, and there's a cool picture of you as a little guy with Mac Brown. Yep. So you're always a Longhorn, and then you play for the Longhorns. Yeah, absolutely. So with that in mind, who's your favorite all-time Longhorn? Any sport? Any sport? Yes. I'm, I'm going to stick to football. I don't know why I said that with such, such enthusiasm. Everybody's going to say, like, Ricky or VY or something. I don't want to be that guy. Maybe Earl Campbell, man. Earl back in the day. Him? Just the physicality he ran with. And then I got to meet him one time, and it was the most terrified I've been because he's, like, larger than life. And you go on this, you know, we walked from our dorm to the stadium. There was three statues, and he was one of them, yeah. the Heisman winners. And so the statue, he's, like, larger than life as it is. We walk by every day, and then you meet him. If you ever get the chance to meet him, none of his fingers go in the same direction. 
but he'll still stick his hand out to like shake your hand and yeah. that threw me off a lot so everything about him is just intimidating <laughs> to me right back from his play style to not just like interacting with him nowadays yeah so i think i think he's top of the list for me man that's a good that's, one i mean yeah. and he's a, a houstonian or houston legend exactly the oilers yeah exactly i like so. that one okay you're stuck in a 10 foot by 10 foot room <laughs> it's filled with food and you got to eat your way out or you're going to die what's the food you would choose to eat your way out with Halloween candy, any. I'm not picky at all. I have a serious problem. My wife had to throw it away. Like we had it in our house left over. We, we stocked up for trick-or-treaters because all we heard was where we live, there's a huge trick-or-treat. And I think we got like four kids to come to our house. <laughs> right. We gave them each like huge bags. Really? Yeah, the parents. Evidently, that's not a cool thing to do. Had you parents. mixed it up and had a bunch of different variety? Yeah, like but, a... yeah but still like we were, it was late enough in the night we were like, here, just take all this. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the parents are just looking like, I'm gonna remember <laughs> this house. But uh, yeah, for me, it's gonna be Halloween candy and anything because yeah. I have zero self-control when it comes to it. Like I said, I finally made my wife just throw it away. Yeah, I felt bad. We we donated some to like we took it to the fire department, and I'm sure they probably ate it or did something special Rot, with you it. Rotted the firefighters' teeth. But, yeah. Man, I have a problem when it comes to Halloween candy. All it's right, a real that's a thing. that's a good answer. I like that one. <laughs> What's the first thing you do in the morning? First thing I do in the morning. Do you have an alarm clock, or I'm do you a, just yeah. wake up naturally? No, I wish. No, I'm an alarm clock guy. What time do you wake up? Usually, it depends. So like today, I woke up at. 550 because you try to get here like 615 620 my commute's not too bad yeah um but so like apart from driving in or like off season when i'm at home i'm right to the coffee maker immediately i have to i'm like a 70 year old man in that aspect i mean i'm three cups a day now it's three getting, a day it's getting bad wow it's, getting, it's offsetting for all the halloween but you gotta candy. be I'm awake not though. eating right now gotta be awake right that's exactly you know it's it's like two in the morning so i got one right when i get up then we lift then another one in meetings and then usually when we go back to these afternoon meetings i'll have another one just because yeah they, they can get a little lengthy. After the physical exertion, the early wake right, up, exactly. and the, the food. I feel yeah. like I can justify all of them. As yeah. long as I can do that, we're good, right? <laughs> You're a healthy dude. You're working out. You can splurge a little with the coffee. I appreciate that. Are you got any nicknames? No, I've been Beck my entire life. I have an older brother, and my parents call me Beck and him Alex all the time. And I think it was... we sat down and discussed it one day. We think it stems from playing baseball when I was younger because I called them Chris and Sal. My parents' names are Chris and Sally. And I call them Chris and Sal. And it started way too young for me to be doing that. But then we decided that that was, it was like, I got tired of yelling dad or mom and like 12 people turned over looking. Right. So you yell Chris and then I get, you know, the one. So I think that's where I'm from. But no, none, I've never had any nicknames. My parents tried to make Drew stick. It never stuck. My right. mother said if I went by Andy, she'd kill me. So we, we stuck with that. <laughs> She's the leader of the house. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. that's, a, that's good stuff. I went straight from mom to wife. I don't know what it's like to make my own choices. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you start picking out what clothes you wanted to wear to school? I'll let wherever? you know when that happens. <laughs> you think I picked this out? No way. I don't know, man. I'm way too coordinated right now. I think I did well. The all black? Yeah. No, I, uh, every now and then I'll try and throw my own stuff in there. If right. I'm wearing jeans and boots, usually it's my idea. If it's anything else. Well, what would you do when you're in college? Hook them, man. They get, if they gave us something you to it, it, was, it went you. right into the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> There's what? other guys on this roster that have better fashion sense than me. I'll go, I'll go grab them if you want Who, to Who's got the best fashion sense in your, your regard? Mechie. Really? No questions asked. Is yeah, right? 100%. I told him I wanted to take me shopping, but then I looked at, look at what he wears, and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to spend that much money on that stuff, man. <laughs> but he, he dresses like a million bucks, literally a million bucks every day. Okay. Really well done. What's the one word you think your teammates would use to describe you? I, for me, it's, it's toughness, man. I hope they think I, I was a tough guy, you know. Everybody's playing through, through injuries and stuff at this point and not letting any of that kind of hamper what you do on a daily basis and, and showing up day in and day out no matter how you're feeling. 
And at the end of the day, I'm a fullback, man. So, I, I, you know, I would hope that that's what they would say. Whether that's true or not, I'll, I'll let them hold on to that. I'll, ignorance is bliss sometimes, so I'll just keep it like that. But I would hope that that's what they'd say. Awesome. Andrew Beck, appreciate the time. Thank yeah, you. Man, appreciate you. Okay, it's time to talk Cleveland Browns. We're going to do so with Max Loeb. He's the co-host of the Dog Check on the Believe Podcast Network. He does it with a former Texas Longhorn, one of my all-time favorite players, Eric Metcalf, a real slippery guy as a running back, as a receiver, as a return man. He was a force of nature. And Max, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but Eric has a fantastic video. It was basically his Heisman hype video, and it was produced by, I think, the University of Texas, with the worst song you could probably ever put on a hype video. It was like a slow love song by <laughs> Alabama, and it was called oh. You've Got the Touch. So go look that up. You will you will not be disappointed. It's probably yeah. 45 minutes of content. But, Max, first things <laughs> first, thanks for coming on. You guys, are the Cleveland Browns ever going to lose again? I mean, what's going on? This is supposed to be <laughs> – once, once Deshaun Watson went down, it was like lights out. That's it. And that has not been the case whatsoever. Uh, I hope they never lose again, but <laughs> I think eventually it'll be inevitable. But I don't know yet. When Deshaun went down, when Nick Chubb went down, when uh, Obo Okoronko went down, when their starting tackles went down, like it's just everything. And I'm sure we'll touch on that later. But you wouldn't, you don't think they would be as good as they are. But keep finding ways to win, and I think that's a credit to the coaching staff for sure. But the personnel they put in place too. There, what I've seen is they're really going out of their way to maximize what they had, especially offensively the identity has changed tremendously over the past couple of weeks, especially with Joe Flacco. You think of Cleveland Browns football, you think of running the ball, you think of time of possession and field position battle, which is the case partially, but they are passing the ball like nobody else. The three games with Flacco, it's second most pass yards in the NFL. So it's it's been really, really refreshing to see Stefanski and that staff utilize their personnel in different ways. And obviously the defense has been doing it all year long, but it's, it's really, really cool to see. I think they will lose again eventually, but hopefully not anytime soon. And we're going to dive deeper into some more stuff. But, I mean, just 30,000-foot view, it says a hell of a lot. And you touched on this. It says a hell of a lot about the character of the team and the coaching staff, like you're talking about, to, to persevere when, man, so many odds have just been stacked against you. Four, four different starting quarterbacks, correct? Correct. And they've won a game with any, every single one. It's remarkable. Every single game, excuse me. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Well, let's talk about Joe Flacco. What have you seen from yeah, this guy the last few weeks? I remember Joe Flacco, obviously, from what he did with the Ravens. And I remember being on the field. The Texans played Baltimore twice in 2011, mm-hmm. once in the regular season in October, once in just an epic playoff game in the divisional round. Yeah. And the Texans absolutely beat the ever-living hell out of Joe Flacco. I'm never going to say Joe Flacco is an elite quarterback, but I will say <laughs> Joe Flacco is an elite tough guy. He took everything yes. they had and just popped back up and kept slinging it. Yeah, it, it's very much been like that in Cleveland, too. Like I just harped on, they, they, they don't have their starting right tackle, their starting left tackle, and their backup right tackle is probably going to be on the all-rookie team, also done for the year. So it's a beat-up offensive line. Uh, their center was out last game. Their left guard, Joel Batonio, got banged up and missed a bunch of snaps. It's a, it's a makeshift offensive line, so he's taken some hits, but – They've done a really good job of keeping extra guys in protection. They've done a really good job of chipping guys like Montez Sweat. Had a, I think he had a sack last game, but neutralized for the vast majority of the game. And they're just letting them sling the ball. It's really, really refreshing to see. And 
you kind of knew watching the Browns games this year that Amari Cooper still had a lot left in the tank. You obviously know what you have athletically in David Njoku. And I, I was a big Elijah Morgan. I think his rapport with Flacco in New York previously helped a lot too, but he's been getting involved a lot more. It's good to see them trusting those guys because I think they have a lot of talent. And I think the old Browns without Flacco, you're almost pigeonholed into this, you know, play action zone run centric scheme with quarterbacks who can also pull the ball. Flacco can't Mm -hmm. pull the ball. So you got to pass a little bit more and you got to make up for those lost snaps where you were running the ball efficiently with quarterbacks too, but you got to make up for the snaps. And it's been really, really good for the most part with Flacco. I will see, I will say, the turnovers really scare me because they not only come frequently, they come in bad places on the field. Like they had a, a pick that the Bears picked off at the Browns on what, like 25 or 30 yard line, returned to the one and scored a touchdown. Uh, Flacco threw a pick six that was probably not all on him, but returned for a touchdown. The fumble, he almost had a fumble, excuse me, that was um, their own 20 yard line. And then after the bears muffed the punt, the Browns got the ball at the bears 26 or 27 next play throws a pick. So the turnovers are not only happening frequently, they're happening at really bad places on the field too. So I don't think there's a good place to have a turnover on the field, but doing it in your own red zone or your opponent's red zone, it, it it's magnified for sure. Yeah. It's, it's an odd stat because the Texans are looking up at the Browns win loss wise they're they're game back of the Browns, but Cleveland is 28th in turnover differential in the NFL. Yeah. And for those that don't know, turnover differential is when you have you know, it's the difference between takeaways and turnovers. So the Browns are 28th in the league. They've turned it over seven more times than they've taken it away. And the, the Texans, meanwhile, uh, they're fourth in the, the NFL. They're plus eight. So they've taken it away eight more times than they've turned it over. Only three teams, the 49ers, the Bengals, and the Cowboys, are better than Houston in that stat. And it's really, really weird. You bring it up as something that scares you. How have they been able to thrive, been able to win so many games, you think, despite that that disparity? I think one one aspect of just defensive football in general that the turnover margin will never like statistically take into account is three and outs. The mm-hmm. Browns have forced, I believe, more three and outs than anybody in the NFL. Huge, Definitely more yeah. three, and, three and outs than anybody in the NFL at home. So that is an enormous part of their defense. They come out swinging, they stop the run, they get off the field quick. So like in the turnover margin, that is definitely a part of it for sure. But it's the red zone defense. Like if, if they turn the ball over, the Browns are doing a really, really good job of either not letting the other team get a first down or move the football, or if they do get in the red zone, not letting them score. And it's been difficult without Denzel Ward. Last week was his first game back, but the red zone defense holding teams to, to three instead of seven has been enormous for the Browns. And it's parts of it are just unexplainable. Like you, you think, especially that Jacksonville game that the Browns had uh, last week, they literally did everything they could to actively lose the game on offense. And they still won. Sometimes you just, you just find ways to win. You make more plays than the other team. You make plays at better times too. So there is some aspect of it that's unexplainable, but taking care of the defense in the red zone and then the three and outs have been huge too. And like I said, the, that'll never be like statistically counted for. Mm-hmm. in that aspect of turnover differential, but I honestly think it should. It's as good as a turnover, forcing a punt within two minutes. Yeah. You know, they're, uh, they've are they been outstanding. Like you mentioned, you touched on it. They've been outstanding at home this year. They've only lost the one game to the Ravens. Yep. But on the road, it's been a different story. They've got two wins, but they've the defense, they've, they've given up quite a bit. I mean, it looks like they're averaging about 30 yards uh, given up, or 
at least the Browns are giving up 30 yards a game, 30 points per game. 20 uh, is, is about the 24 is about the, the best they've done. That's the, the lowest they've held yeah. an opponent to. How do you explain that? I mean, defense usually travels, doesn't it? Well, it, it's weird. When you look at it game by game, I think the biggest thing for the Browns this season, everybody will point fingers at Miles Garrett being their best player. Um, I think people look at the tape. You point out Dalvin Tomlinson being a run stopper that helps in a lot of different aspects. Not having Denzel Ward the past couple of weeks where they gave up uh, 30-something points to the Rams, like 29 to Denver, both on the road, that is the biggest thing. Because not only is that your number one corner, who I personally think is playing better than almost anybody in the NFL this season, uh, you lose your number one corner. But what that also allows you to do, because the Browns play so much man coverage, you can go trust him, trust Martin Emerson, trust Greg Newsom, other corners, to just go play one-on-one the receivers and then add an extra guy to the pass rush. That gives Miles Garrett a one-on-one. That gives Zadarius Smith a one-on-one. That gives whoever you want a one-on-one, or you outnumber them six to five, whatever you, whatever it may be. You trust those guys to cover in the back end, and that's what happened last game because the Bears, they scored 17 points. One was a pick six. One was a touchdown where they got the ball at the one. So yeah. you, you can you do put an asterisk by the also, defensive, yeah, yeah, the point total in that one, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then you look at some of the other the road games the Browns have allowed a, a lot of points in. The Indy game, Indy had a really, really good offensive game. The Steelers game, they scored 12 offensive points. Like, there are some games where <laughs> I don't think I don't think the numbers do it justice yet. The, the, the two defensive touchdowns for the Steelers are pretty crazy. But the Steelers are not I, I a good think... team. The Steelers are not a good team. Well, we saw them here, and they got blasted. They're, yeah, yes, that's yeah. smoke and mirrors right there. But sorry to interrupt. Like, no, yeah. I, I could not agree more. Could not agree more. But, yeah, I think Denzel Ward missing the past couple games has been the biggest issue. But it's a very real thing having home field advantage, whether it's the noise, the fans, the comfort of playing at home. It's a very real thing. And that's why I think, and I've I've told a lot of people this, you never know what's going to happen with the AFC this year. It is as open as ever. There is not one team that separates themselves from the rest. I think it'd be a stretch to say the Browns win the AFC North, but – they make the playoffs as a wild card. Getting that five seed instead of a six or a seven, who knows? Maybe maybe AFC championship game rolls around. You're playing good football, and so are the six-seed Houston Texans, or so are the seven-seed Buffalo Bills. You're going to host them. So who knows? It, it's an important thing. But as for the road defense, I think it's a couple things. I, the comfort, for sure, and the fans. But the the perfect storm in a lot of those road games, for sure. Max Loeb has a podcast about the Cleveland Browns. It's called The Dog Check on the Believe Network. Max, you just brought him up, but we're very familiar with Miles Garrett. He played just up the road yeah. at Texas A&M. He is yeah. a dominant force. Have you seen anything growth-wise out of him this season, or is it just more of the same, more of the excellence that's been happening over the last you know five, six, seven years? I, I think maturity has come a really, really long way with him. I think especially the past couple weeks, he hasn't had a sack in like three weeks. And it's partially because they're just giving him so much attention. Right. Double teams, whatever it may be. But growth-wise, maturity, doing different things defensively too, he's been a really, really good part of this run defense, which is one of the best in the NFL. He is understanding his role and letting the guys around him go make plays. And I think if you ask a lot of Browns fans who's been the best defensive player of the past, like, three, four weeks, Miles Garrett would not be the first name that came to their mind. He may not even be the second name that came to their mind. Hmm. I think him doing that, being able to make plays, draw attention, and just, you know, not hearing a peep, I think is a huge thing. And I, I think 
you know, just what he does and how much attention he brings to one side of the offensive line or a defense or an offensive game plan. That's another huge thing. And now the Browns actually have other players like Dalvin Tomlinson, Jeremiah Usukoromoa, Zadarius Smith that can actually go make plays if you do double team him. That's been Mm -hmm. a huge difference I've noticed too. On the offensive side of the ball, you 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 told us about some of those weapons. Amari Cooper, everybody knows about him. David Njoku is doing phenomenal things. He's actually got eight more catches than does Cooper. But yeah. these guys can hit you in a lot of different ways. And is is Flacco just unlocking all that, being the pure passer, being the guy that is able to do those things? Has he just kind of unlocked some of what was maybe lacking earlier in the season? I think – I think, yes. I think in terms of pure passing, he has been be- definitely better than, you know, DTR or uh, PJ Walker, probably better than Watson though. And yes, I think he's unlocking him and having a better passer who's more comfortable is a good thing. And that's probably helping the receivers. But I honestly think it's a volume thing. Like the past three weeks, the Browns have thrown the ball more than they ever have at any point in the season. And again, I think that's partially because your best run blocking offensive linemen are hurt. It's partially because you don't have Nick Chubb, but they haven't had Nick Chubb all year. I think they realize what their strengths are offensively. I think they realize Flacco can throw the ball. I think they're starting to realize very few people on planet Earth can cover David Njoku. I think they know they have a good receiver in Mari Cooper, Elijah Moore. Like two weeks ago, Mari Cooper had 14 targets. I believe that was the season high for any Browns player. David Njoku had double-digit targets last week. Like that didn't happen when they would play with Deshaun Watson. And again, I think it's a very much a playing to your strengths thing because the reality of the situation for the Browns offense is they're better offensively in the pass game than they are in the run game. I, again, I think that's a credit to the offensive staffs, the fans keep for seeing that and realizing that. But as, as much as I want to say Flacco has unlocked everybody, I think it's a volume thing. Run defense or excuse me, run, run game. Is it just, if they scaled back because of all the passing, like you're talking about. They've scaled back, but it's interesting. They're still like moderately efficient. Like they've, they've mm-hmm. been efficient. Last week against the Bears, who I think were the second best run defense in the second half of the season up until that point, like they were, they're fine, like they're efficient, but they knew the advantage they had in past games. They threw the ball more. I think again, it's very much playing to your strengths, and I don't think the fans he will ever truly abandon the run game, but mm-hmm. he's gotten away with it with you know, quick passes. The screen game has been a lot more prevalent the past couple of weeks. He's gotten away from it, but is still finding ways to win early downs. And occasionally what the Browns will do is just go play action, deep shot on first down just to keep everybody on their toes. And it's honestly worked more times than not. So it's it's a really, really refreshing thing to see Stefanski and that offense changing the identity a little bit. But the run game has has totally scaled back. I don't know if it's they realize they just can't do it as effectively with Nick Chubb. I do think, think they're still moderately efficient. Over the past couple of weeks, they've just had better matchups in the past game, but it has certainly scaled back. And it's been noticeable for sure. Max Loeb of the Dog Check podcast on the Believe Network is with us. And Max, Deshaun Watson didn't get to play too much this season. And now Joe Flacco signed for another year. Looks to be a pretty darn good backup next season, but he's the guy going right now. What do you make of the future with Deshaun Watson and what's what's happening there? I don't think the Browns will look past Watson. Like I think Watson is undoubtedly in the building the guy. It's interesting to see the timing of all this because that Ravens game, the last game he played this season, uh, was, what, 14 for 14, the second half, multiple touchdowns. It was the best half of football he's played all year against probably the best defense in the NFL. 
And it kind of stinks. You thought, well, maybe everything's clicking. And then he gets hurt. So it, it seems like you can make a lot of excuses for Deshaun Watson's play on the field. And at some point you got to ask yourself, when do we stop making excuses? But it's still, it's tough to see. Like he hasn't had a full off season plus a season. He's battling the shoulder injury all year long. And obviously you know, two years ago was its own, was its own entity with him coming back and no off season, all that stuff. But I, I think it would be hard for the Browns to just look past him because he does provide you a lot. He provides you with not only a good arm, an experienced quarterback at this point in his career too, but he can extend plays. He can contribute in the quarterback run game. And I think this offense, regardless of who's quarterback, is going to be significantly better when you add Nick Chubb to the mix. Yeah. How much have you missed or how much have the Browns missed him, Max? A lot. I I really do find it interesting though. Like they run the ball less, noticeably less, especially with Flacco. But when you look at the efficiency numbers, they're not bad. Like it's it's not like Nick Chubb losing Nick Chubb has completely ruined the run game, which would happen with a lot of teams like like if the Giants lost Saquon Barkley, like the run game is scratched. That doesn't happen with the Browns, or at least it hasn't. Um, but it's been huge. And I think he's really the emotional leader. Like he's the guy that's been there. He's the guy that can really go make plays whenever the ball is in his hands. But again, now you have guys like David and Joku doing that. Now you have guys like Amari Cooper doing that. So I would be really fascinated to see what the offense would look like with Flacco if they had Chubb, but it's it's hard to put into words the impact that Chubb has on the field. Like you could short yardage or third and medium, you can stack a box against the Browns now. You couldn't do that with, with, with Nick Chubb. Or sorry, you you can't stack a box now. You had to do that with Nick Chubb. It gives people one on ones on the uh, the sideline with Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore. So it's it's a lot of hypotheticals, but definitely definitely missed for sure. Last question for you, Max Loeb of the Dog Check on Believe Network of Podcasts. How much fun has this team been to cover this season? Here we are on the uh, verge of Christmas. They're in the thick of the playoff race. And like we mentioned off the top, four different starting quarterbacks have all won a game. How much fun is this just looking back at what you've been able to cover this year? It's been been incredible. And I've been fortunate enough to go to a couple games. I, I was at the Tennessee game. Which, which probably Watson's best game outside of the Baltimore game. And it, it, that atmosphere, the Miles Garrett, like three sacks that game. Like the atmosphere of the dog pound is a little bit different. I was at the Arizona game, like you beat up on that team, but best uh, defensive game they've had this year. They allowed like a yard of play. It was ridiculous. The atmosphere is different there too. But the really, really cool moment I had, especially just as, as somebody who watches football, I was at the 49ers game, watching what they did to the 49ers. That ridiculous win, P.J. Walker coming in, starting quarterback on short notice. Like, it, it's it's been unbelievable. It's so much fun. And the reality is if they win another game or two, they probably will be in the playoffs. And Cleveland Browns playoff football, I, I'm somebody who's not from Cleveland. I'm from Massachusetts, so I've only been out here since I went to college out, uh, John Carroll. It, it's been this entity – that's been cursed. It's been this entity that's been bad and just all over the place. There's nothing ever good. Obviously you have the the playoff game against the chiefs and all of that. You missed the playoffs past couple of years. There's hope. And they're just, it just feels different. Like I, I was talking about it with a couple of my friends that hail Mary to Darnell Mooney. That is a pass that somebody would catch against the Cleveland Browns. Like that's a play that would be made. 
to lose the Cleveland Browns game. When I think back just as a fan, like six or seven years ago, that field goal that the Browns had to win the game against Baltimore, moderately reasonable field goal to win the game, division game against Baltimore, blocked and returned for a touchdown at the end of regulation and the Ravens win. Like that's the type of play that I see happening to the Cleveland Browns as a fan. I'm like, wow, you know, maybe this franchise is cursed. And they've lost so many people to injury this year. You still ask the question, but that, that Hail Mary, like there's just something weird about it. I can't describe it. Like that's a play that would get made against the Browns. The ball is right here, like literally in his hands. He drops mm-hmm. it. It just something, something feels a little bit different. I don't know what it is. It just feels different. Well, it's been remarkable because Texans fans have obviously kept their eyes on what the Browns have been doing because the Texans have the Browns draft pick. They traded theirs yep. away to uh, to Arizona in re- return for Will Anderson. And like I said at the beginning, the Browns just keep winning. Yep, they do. <laughs> it's, it's very, very frustrating, but you do have to tip your cap because this is a titanic game for both teams this yes. weekend. I mean, yeah. this there's a lot riding on it for the Texans. They're two games over 500. They've beaten the Bengals yet because of the weird tiebreaker system in the NFL, they're 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 looking up mm-hmm. at the Bengals, even though they have the same record and a better record in the division, a better record in the conference than Cincinnati. So this is a good one. They need to get the Cleveland Browns. And we appreciate your insight, Max Loeb. You tell uh, Eric Metcalf that he's got a big fan, uh, 10-year-old Andy Doherty, that's me, uh, was a big, big fan <laughs> of Eric Metcalf back in the day. He was like a bead of mercury. It was tough yes. to get. It was tough to uh, tackle, and uh, you guys got a great thing going there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on it, uh, Drew. I, I appreciate it big time. I am so looking forward to this game. And I was thinking about it, like, you, you look at, like, a wild card game, and you title it Must Win. Mm -hmm. in week whatever this is 16 like for the browns obviously it's a must win and if they do win like i said they're essentially in the playoffs which is crazy to think about yeah but if you're the texans like you look at the other games this week like since he has pittsburgh buffalo has the chargers like looking at that it is magnified even more like you don't want to lose a leg right now especially you know indy's playing good football too like it's it's pretty crazy. And as, you know, as crazy as it sounds, that division is still up for grabs too. Sure. And the sure. Jaguars are, I don't know. Like they're iffy, yeah. I mean, them. their quarterback is concussed, like like the Texans yep, quarterback. Too. So we'll see about yeah. Stroud, whether he, he plays or not this week. But, you know, this feels, I'm a little older than you, but this feels like the late 80s and the early 90s when the Oilers and the Browns were, you know, they'd have some good teams that, that played some meaningful football a lot of times it was up in the snow in Cleveland at, at Mistake yeah. by Lake, but this is uh, fun. Uh, Houston and Cleveland squaring off for a big one on Christmas Eve day. Max Loeb, yeah. thank you so much for the time. We will follow your work, and you can check out Max on Twitter, at Loeb's Leads, that's L-O-E-B-S-L-E-A-D-S, at Loeb's Leads. He's Max Loeb of the Believe Network, Believe Podcast Network this is the dog check podcast that he is on. And Max, thank you again for the time. Thanks for listening to this. I appreciate you taking time out of your day or night and giving us a listen. So remember, please, on top of that, subscribe to this podcast so you can get it on a weekly basis in your inbox and we'll have lots and lots of fun. Hey, while you're there, write a review. Give us five stars or 10 stars or 58 stars if you can. And we will talk again very, very soon.